today I spoke with a dead woman. Or, rather, she spoke with me and I listened. To be more specific, today a dead woman spoke to me through a medium of sorts. Not a psychic. The woman who brought the dead woman to life was an actress. But not just an actress, but a magnificently talented one. Perhaps I should explain. I live in a small town. I don't know how many, maybe 40,000 people. What is important is that there really is not much to do here. We all here grasp at straws when it comes to entertainment, and hope that we don't drown. Today, I didn't drown. Today, through the good graces of the city of Gadsden, Alabama, there was going to be a tour. A tour of the dead. Any and all who were interested were invited to join in a walk through time. It would consist of a walk through the city cemetery. The cemetery would be open from 2 to 5 p.m. today, and there would be amateur local actors portraying people who were of somewhat renown in the city in times past. I went, again not expecting much, and knowing if it all went very badly, I could always go to Blockbusters afterwards in another city nearby and catch a movie starring somebody really seriously talented. Let me say right now, I did not have to go to Blockbuster. I found a real, true talent in that most unexpected place, a cemetery. No one of my family wanted to go with me to this affair. Not my wife, not my daughter, not my three dogs, not my two cats, not the squirrels in the trees, or the chipmunks making my lawn uneven. I went on my own, and going half-heartedly, the trip did not start off well. First, in spite of it being October, the Halloween month, and a great time to go to the cemetery and hear ghost stories and get the hell scared out of you, the weather was not cooperating. In fact, the weather felt more like a summer day at the beach. Not scary at all. Although it did look like rain and thunder and lightning strikes might be possible late in the evening, and a breeze blew leaves along the ground, as in, something wicked comes this way. I was hoping for that. When you live in a small Alabama Mabry, you kind of hope for a bank robbery every now and then. It didn't happen. Instead, I parked my car at the designated parking lot, thinking perhaps there was a story there waiting for me to write, and I did find something. I found a true gem, as one of my own stories has been called. But this time, one written by someone else. What I found was my American dessert. A tale about two women, one dead, one living, and I did not find them at first. I made a donation to enter the cemetery at a long line of tables where I was surprised to see hundreds of people milling around, looking at the Hollywood Home of the Star-style maps of where 49 of the 6,000 dead people in the boneyard would be portrayed and by whom. I did not go to the left and clockwise, as most people were doing, where the dead would be listed beginning with number one, Dr. Mort M. Gloser, and followed by forty-eight others spaced out throughout the grounds. Instead, I went straight, 
and visited the beautiful little chapel built in the Depression by the poor people to whom the government gave jobs to in those days in the Public Works Administration. And inside that beautiful place was more peace than any megachurch I have yet to visit. After leaving there, I sat down beside that building and looked at the list of all the dead people I could see and listen to at my choice. There was forty-nine of them, all scattered around the sloping graveyard, with little signs that told what number they were and who they had been when they were alive. I took out my pen and circled the ones whose stories I wanted to hear. There were only a few. First, and really only on my list as a must-see, was Faithful Jack, who the one-page brochure touted as more than just an employee of the Cathy family. I had no expectation of meeting the real Jack, of course, but thought it might be interesting to talk with the amateur actor who was portraying him, a young man whose real name the roster lists as Tree Raglan. But to get to him, I had to pass by numbers forty through twenty-four, as, remember, I was going backward through time. I passed number thirty-nine, Adolf Reich, who built the first skyscraper in Gasden, and number thirty-eight, which had the interesting blurb in the bulletin saying, Why am I buried here all by myself? And number thirty-two, Bob Higgins, a CSA veteran who was shot and killed by his married mistress, who mistook him for a prowler, and who lamented that his death was not his fault. And number twenty-four, who was an ex-probate judge portraying the first probate judge of the county, who looked the part and was doing a very tolerable job, complete with long rider's western coat and pistol hanging from a gun belt, until his cell phone rang and blew the illusion wide open. Then I stopped at number 23, because this was where the first person in the big cemetery was buried. A little girl. Her dad, Augustin L. Woodliff, and his sons, bought and cleared the land, not knowing his precious little girl would die and be the first person buried in it. Heartbreaking to me. Then the very next grave, and the person I had most wanted to see, Faithful Jack, who, thanks to the woman he worked for, was the first black person buried in the city's white cemetery. My understanding is that the townspeople threw a fit and walked up to Mrs. Cathy's house and told her they did not want a black man in their cemetery, and she told them in no uncertain terms what they could do with their prejudice. They persisted, and she resisted, and, well, you can see who won in the end, because there is Faithful Jack still buried there since 1928. I asked the young actor how it felt to portray the first black person in a white cemetery, and he was very, very diplomatic about it, saying it was an honour. He'll go far in this world. That did it for me. I had talked to the one dead person I wanted to, and would cruise through the rest of them, unless there was something that could possibly stop me in my tracks and force me to stop and listen, which I had no expectation of. I was wrong. I was cruising down the cemetery lane, passing numbers and alive deceased people without stopping, and almost was at number forty 
where I had started, when number 42 stopped me in my tracks. First it was the voice, then it was what she said. It was near the end of her portrayal, and the woman said, "'Well, that's my story, and I'm not famous for inventing anything or discovering anything, or for doing anything scandalous. But if you ask people who knew me what they remember, they'll say she was the sweetest little thing, which I guess is odd to say about oneself, but in a harsh world such as this, perhaps that is enough to be famous for, and hopefully make my tale worth the telling.' Thank you so much for listening and for visiting today, and come back any time. I shall be right here. Those words hit me hard, because that's how I feel. Why do we, people in general, work so terribly hard to be noticed, to be thought something special? We stick our heads in alligators' mouths, and do all sorts of insane things, all to try to excel and seek out fame and fortune in whatever field we choose for ourselves. I knew right away I had to hear the rest of this dead woman's story. The woman thanked the people who had listened to her in a very unique way, and then waited for others to come. I took those moments to read about her, number 42. The dead woman the woman would be portraying, was Mrs. Edith May Cathy, and she was from New Zealand, the flyer said, which meant that somehow this woman had come a long way from home in her lifetime, and her body was now here forever. And when the actress had spoken her first words, this is what had attracted me to her, the accent which she used was perfectly done, a New Zealand-English variant. I've been to London three times while in the Navy and loved such speech, and here it was again. But now, in the middle of the heart of Dixie, Gadsden, Alabama. By this time, enough people had gathered around to start her portrayal again. And so she began. And I will now let her speak on these pages, trying to quote her word for word exactly, and knowing that words alone cannot bring what she portrayed to life, and encouraging that if you ever have the chance to hear the actress perform My American Dessert in person, you will experience a truly wonderful performance. By the way, she gave her work no title as she spoke. My American Dessert is my choice of title not only for what she portrayed, but for the story which introduces her and her wonderful talent in resurrecting Miss May Cathy as she stood by that woman's eternal resting place.